Welcome to Legal Aid New South Wales' Early Appropriate Guilty Plea podcast. This is the second podcast in our series of five, during which we will be talking about the Early Appropriate Guilty Plea Reform, also known as the EAGP Reform. My name is Rob Hoyles, and joining me today is Kepi Waters and Nick Ashby. We are all from the EAGP implementation team at Legal Aid New South Wales, and we are practising solicitors in the Criminal Law Division. You might have seen us if you attended one of our 30 or so training sessions around the state. So why are we here? Well, in this series, we hope to give you an explanation of the EAGP reforms. We will refer you to the relevant legislation, and we will also talk about some of the operational aspects of the reform. We'll also give the lawyers tuning in some suggestions and tips for how to deal with EAGP matters, and we hope this will add to your reading and understanding of the legislation. So, Kepi, what will we be covering in this podcast? In this podcast, we'll cover steps one and two in the EAGP committal process. Step one is early disclosure, and step two is charge certification. Uh, For an overview of the EAGP reforms, uh, tune in to our podcast number one, in which we talked about why the EAGP reforms were introduced, what the reforms actually are, how they apply, and also the timeframes. So, Nick, what is early disclosure? So under the EAGP process, early disclosure involves the service of the brief of evidence by the prosecution with some parts in non-admissible form. So when you say prosecution, who are you talking about? So in the beginning it would be the police who are required to serve the brief on the DPP and the defence. Section 15A of the Direct of Public Prosecutions Act 1986 has not been changed. This means that investigating police will still have an ongoing duty to disclose all relevant material to the DPP until the proceedings are discontinued, terminated or finalised. So the defence is still entitled to a brief in EAGP matters? Absolutely. That's still required by Section 61 of the Criminal Procedure Act. And what will this brief of evidence include? Uh, Section 62, subsection 1 of the Criminal Procedure Act is relevant here. This says that three types of material must be included in the brief. The first is copies of all material obtained by the prosecution that forms the basis of the prosecution's case. Secondly, copies of any other material obtained by the prosecution that is reasonably capable of being relevant to the case for the accused. And finally, the third are copies of any other material obtained by the prosecution that would affect the strength of the prosecution case. So, Kepi, who puts that together and decides what is relevant? The officer in charge of the OIC will still put the brief together their supervisor will oversee the brief and has to in fact certify that the brief of evidence meets the requirements of the New South Wales Police and DPP brief protocol. So what are those requirements? Well essentially there's six main requirements. Um, The first three relate to the investigation and they are firstly that the investigation is complete, that the matter's been properly investigated and uh, finally that all witnesses have been interviewed and their statements have been taken. Police essentially still must fully investigate any matter and gather all the relevant evidence. And the last six of those, um, those sorry, the last three of those six requirements relate to the actual brief itself, and they are that all available evidence um, is in the brief, the brief items list and summary of evidence has been signed off by the supervisor, and that the DPP copy of the brief includes a completed disclosure certificate. So Nick, other than the Section 62 material, what else will the brief include? So part three of the brief protocol is relevant here. This contains a list of what must be included. There must be a cover sheet, 
the items list and summary of evidence, the details of any co-accused, including their names and charges, plus court attendance notices for the accused, the police fact sheet, the accused's criminal history, and importantly, the evidence required to satisfy the elements of the offence, including the identification of the accused. You mentioned some parts of the brief will be in non-admissible form. What does this mean? Well, this means brief material is not required to be in admissible form when it is served. This is a, a change which is an attempt to try to remove some of the delays we experience in brief material being served. So what will we be served with? For some types of evidence, we and the DPP will be served with acceptable alternative forms. Appendix A of the New South Wales Brief Protocol sets out what those acceptable alternatives are. Kepi, can you give us an example of what an acceptable alternative form of evidence might be? Yeah, sure. Uh, In a drug matter, for example, the admissible form of evidence that we would normally receive would be a drug analysis certificate. But the acceptable alternative form of that evidence would be the results of a presumptive drug test, uh, which would identify the drug and also the quantity of the drug involved. So does this mean police don't have to serve any admissible evidence to prove their case? No. Uh, You will get the acceptable alternative form unless you decide that the admissible form is necessary for you to be able to advise your client and to be able to then negotiate with the DPP. You would need to still request it from the DPP, but you would also get the admissible form of evidence if the matter ends up going to trial. Nick, does this mean that every piece of evidence will come in an alternative form? No, not at all. There are some types of evidence for which there is no acceptable alternative form. For example, there is no alternative for a complainant's signed statement. When will the brief be served? Brief service orders will be made at the first mention of any strictly indictable and elected table matters, and the police will have eight weeks to serve the brief of evidence. Eight weeks doesn't really seem like a very long time. Well, you're right, and if the police need longer to get the brief together, a police prosecutor will ask the court for more time to serve the brief. You've mentioned a police prosecutor will appear, so the DPP won't be appearing? That's correct. Police prosecutors will stay in matters until a magistrate makes orders for, a charge, for charge certification. This means the police prosecutor will ask for brief service orders and appear until they confirm a complete brief has been served and ask for charge certification orders. Well, Kepi, what is a complete brief? What the police consider a complete brief might be different to what the defence and the DPP think is a complete brief. Will the DPP still appear if they don't think the brief is complete to certify a charge? Yes, we understand that the DPP will be appearing even in these circumstances, um, but at that stage the DPP might decide that there is not enough evidence in the police complete brief to certify a charge and then requisition the police for more evidence. Will we still receive the brief in dribs and drabs? Yes. The brief protocol uh, from the police and the DPP says we can still be given partial briefs, but it appears from the protocol that the DPP won't receive any brief material until the OIC supervisor has certified that the brief is complete. Okay, so Nick, what tips would you give to defence lawyers at this stage of the process? So my first suggestion would be to consider whether the brief is in fact complete for your purposes. Is there enough evidence to advise your client? Has all the evidence referred to in the brief actually been served? And if it hasn't, contact the OIC and ask for it. My second suggestion would be to think about what other evidence might or might not assist your client's case. For example, are there witnesses referred to in the brief who have not been interviewed? Could you subpoena other material? Could you make a GIPA application to get other material from the police?
For those listening who, like me, don't know what a GIPRA application is, can you explain that? So it's an application under the New South Wales Government Information and Public Access Act to government departments. For example, corrective services to obtain their records. It's an important way to get access to records without the Crown automatically being able to get access to the material, as they would with a subpoena. Kepi, with the changes to police appearing until a brief is served, can you offer any suggestions to defence lawyers about how to deal with this process? Yes, sure. Uh, Even though police prosecutors appearing at court, um, defence practitioners should still notify the DPP that they're in a matter. Even before a charge is certified? Yes. That's because the DPP cases system, or their file management system, opens a file for all strictly indictable charges as soon as they're laid, and your details as a defence practitioner can actually be added to that unallocated file by the DPP clerk that's responsible for managing it. Um, you just need to contact the relevant DPP office and refer to the H number of your matter. We understand from the DPP that a file will be allocated about three weeks into the six-week period for charge certification, and the allocated DPP solicitor can then contact you immediately to let you know that they're in the matter. We've also been told that some types of matters will be allocated immediately after the charge is laid, for example, murder matters. The DPP will be working behind the scenes um, in those matters while police prosecutors will be appearing at court until the orders are actually made for charge certification. And what should we do if our client wants to make an offer to plead guilty? Well, you can still make that offer and you should make it to the DPP, not the police. Even before certification? Yes. And the reason we say this is because the certifying prosecutor can look at your offer um, whilst they're looking at the brief and deciding what charge to certify. Um, They can certify the charge you've offered to plead guilty to, or a guilty plea can be entered to the existing charge if the prosecutor gives their consent. So we should be taking our client's instructions as to what they might plead to? Absolutely. If you have instructions to make an offer, phone the relevant DPP office and give the H number, as I suggested, and tell the clerk looking after the matter that you have instructions to make an early offer and give them your contact details. So these negotiations can kick off even though police prosecutors who still appear... Um, until the date ordered for charge certification. That's right, and those negotiations should happen with the DPP as soon as possible. Well, talking of charge certification, Nick, let's move on to talking about why it has been introduced. So the main purpose of charge certification is to give uh, defendants earlier charge certainty to encourage them to consider whether they want to plead guilty as an early stage in the proceedings. If, say, they are one of the 83% who will ultimately plead guilty, prosecutors with delegation will get involved earlier and are expected to stay in the matters until they finish. That's a really big change from the old committal process, isn't it? It's a huge change. Under the old system, charges against our clients could change at any time, including as late as the first day of trial. The prosecutor might change more than once, and perhaps most importantly, offers that were rejected pre-committal might then be accepted post-committal. Now a senior prosecutor uh, must review the brief immediately after it's been served, decide the most appropriate charge or charges to go to trial and certify those charges in a document filed at the local court. This is intended to reduce the numbers of defendants holding out for a better result in negotiations closer to the trial. What will a prosecutor certify? The senior prosecutor will certify that the evidence available to them is capable of establishing each of the certified charges. And how is the charge certified? So the senior prosecutor draws up a charge certificate. It will set out the matters that will be taken to trial and which police charges are going to be withdrawn, if any, and if there are going to be any backup or related offences. 
Form 1A in the new regulations sets out the prescribed format of a charge certificate. The certified prosecutor will sign it and include their title or position. They will then file it with the local court and serve a copy on the accused. When you say senior prosecutor, who are you referring to? Well, I'm not referring to the police. Section 65 of the Criminal Procedure Act specifically excludes the police from this process. Basically, a prosecutor who can certify a charge would be from the New South Wales DPP, Commonwealth DPP, or a representative of the Attorney General. Kepi, does that mean the Crown prosecutors will be the ones certifying the charges? Yes, Crown prosecutors will be involved, but the DPP have told us that they expect their trial advocates and other senior lawyers will also be involved in certifying charges. So these senior prosecutors will stay in matters until they finish? Yes. We've been told by the DPP that the prosecutor who signs the charge certificate will also go to the case conference along with any instructing DPP solicitor. What are the implications of this for defence practitioners? Well, essentially it means that you will need to pay close attention to the title of the prosecutor on the charge certificate. Legal Aid New South Wales intends to match the resources allocated um, by the DPP to these matters. Does that mean that we could brief counsel in the local court in legally aided matters? Yes. If a Crown Prosecutor signs the charge certificate, you can apply for an extension to a grant of legal aid and get approval to brief counsel. If a trial advocate certifies the charge, could we still ask for an extension to brief counsel? Yes, you can, but it won't be automatic like if a, prosecution, uh, a Crown Prosecutor is in it. Um, you would need to include in your application the reasons why you think counsel needs to be briefed, for example, um, that the matter involves some complexity or the client is difficult or other information that will help grants to decide whether or not that extension should be approved. Okay, so Nick, will the DPP still prepare a charge certificate if they decide no matters will be taken to trial? Short answer is no. A charge certificate doesn't have to be filed if all the police charges are withdrawn and a charge certificate also doesn't have to be filed if the strictly indictable charges are replaced by summary charges. When will the charge be certified? Well, the practice note provides for six weeks after the brief of evidence has been served. Kepi, six weeks doesn't seem like a long time for a complex matter. It's not, but the Criminal Procedure Act, the Procedure Act actually gives the prosecution six months to certify, and that six months can in fact be extended. What do we think might be reasons for an extension? Well, one is if the accused agrees to a longer period for the DPP to file the charge certificate. The other is if the magistrate is satisfied that it's in the interests of justice to extend the period when they look at the matter and consider how complex it might be. Nick, what can the magistrate do if a charge certificate isn't filed? Uh, section 68 gives the magistrate a power to discharge or adjourn the proceedings. Realistically, though, if an accused was discharged, the Crown is likely to ex officio the matter, so we think a magistrate is more likely to adjourn a matter uh, rather than discharge. What happens to the six-month time limit if our client doesn't attend court and has a warrant issued for them? Does the time stop running? Well, you won't be surprised to hear the answer to that is yes. Essentially, the six months does stop running. Any days that a client is on the run don't count towards the six-month period. Kepi, what happens to the charge certificate if the charges change later on? Well, the prosecutor will be required to file an amended charge certificate if the charges for committal change, for example, as a result of a case conference, and any new court attendance notices for the new charges will also have to be filed too. Does this happen if the charges change and are sent back to the local court? No. So we mentioned earlier some tips for defence practitioners at the early disclosure stage. Do you have any suggestions regarding charge certification for our listeners? Yes. 
Um, my number one suggestion would be to check to make sure that you have the charge certificate, um, which the prosecutor is required to give you a copy of. Um, I would suggest try and get a copy of that as soon as possible because of the tight time frame in which, as a defence practitioner, you have to do a whole bunch of things to get things to the next stage. That's the seven-day adjournment you were talking about earlier. Yes, that's right. The practice note allows up to seven days for us to consider the certified charge, get our client's instructions, then apply for an extension for counsel if you're going to a case conference with a Crown Prosecutor, then brief counsel, and then arrange the case conference with all the parties. So there's a lot to do in that very short time frame. It really is, isn't it? Yeah. So practitioners should be referring to Clause 5.1 of the local court practice note where need be. Yes, definitely. 5.1 is really useful and it basically allows um, that if it's in the interest of justice to depart from the timetable in the practice note that you should be asking for a longer adjournment. Um, as we said earlier, you know, more time now could save time later on. And that's practice note con too? Yes. And Nick, what else should defence practitioners be t- thinking about at this stage? Well, maybe think about whether a witness hearing might be in your client's interests and apply for one. Can you remind us what a witness hearing is? Sure, a witness hearing is like an old committal hearing without the magistrate's power to discharge at the end of the evidence. The defence can apply for a direction for a prosecution witness to be called to give evidence. Look at section 82, 83 and 84 of the amended Criminal Procedure Act. Should we still consider requisitions to the DPP and subpoenas? Uh, Absolutely. Consider these options as well as their pros and cons. The prosecution still has an obligation to serve you with any additional material that they obtain. Kepi, is there anything specific we should be doing to get ready for the case conference? Yes. Section 72 of the Criminal Procedure Act is really important at this point. Can you explain its importance? Well, firstly, we're required under Section 72 to explain certain things to our clients before we go to a case conference. That's before we actually go to the case conference. And secondly, we're going to have to sign the case conference certificate afterwards declaring that we've explained those things to our client. What things are we required to explain? Well, as well as taking your client's instructions about what kind of offers they might make, you also need to explain the operation of the EAGP sentence discount scheme, the penalties for the certified charges, the penalties for any offences which you offer to plead to or other offers that the DPP might have made, as well as the effect on all those penalties if your client was to decide to plead guilty at any different stage in their matter. Nick, what do we do if we suspect our client is unfit to stand trial or to enter a plea? Well, that probably means you won't be able to either take instructions or comply with Section 72. You need to consider raising it with the court to get an adjournment to get your client assessed. Uh, But remember that Section 93 means that raising fitness could result in a magistrate committing your client to a higher court immediately for that fitness to be determined. Okay, those are some great suggestions. Thank you both. We hope that our chat today has given you some more information about the first two stages of the EAGP committal process. If you're looking for more information about the EAGP reform, head to the Legal Aid New South Wales website. Under the tab For Lawyers, you will find resources and tools. Look for EAGP, which will take you to our website with links to all the legislation, copies of the practice notes, the brief protocol and the Commonwealth DPP guidelines. You'll also find our EAGP guide for practitioners. Thank you for listening to our EAGP podcasts. Tune into the next podcast in our series during which we will talk about case conferencing and the case conferencing certificate. Till next time.